0: By the time I met Jill, I thought I had grown fairly cautious, but the facts don't lie. I knew I'd buy a house, any house, if Jill would agree to move in with me. I was certain I loved her. In fact, I had already taken her to meet my mother. Like, we're dating, like, not even a month, and I take her to meet my mother. A critically important step for Southern families. Jill was gracious and charming, and my mother was relieved that this time maybe I had gotten it right. Although Jill had never been married, she had, she did not judge me for my two previous failures. At thirty-five, she was old enough to understand how things go wrong. She herself had recently ended a thirteen-year relationship with a man who had commitment issues. I joked with Jill that she would have no commitment problems with me. Jill likes a good joke. She is a smart aleck, a wisecracker. Another trait that attracted me to Jill was her sense of adventure. She seemed game for just about anything. And folks, if you're going to take on an impossible project, your partner has to be game for just about anything. It's, uh, I, I have stories I can tell you, but let me, let me continue here. One afternoon, as we drove past a dumpster brimming with junk, she said, Turn around. Did you see that cool stuff in the dumpster? We spent nearly an hour digging around in the trash and came away with some huge old windows. Never mind that we had no house to put them in. Both of us are avid junk collectors, stockpiling lights and corbels and hinges and all kinds of things we hope to install in a grand old man someday. Already we were sharing a dream. I was crazy about her. Okay, so um, let me just walk you through what was going on with this house. Hmm. But let me read you this paragraph, because it has to do with my mother. My poor mother. Up to this point, nothing much in my life had gone according to plan. I had made so many wrong turns, I couldn't say where I'd end up next. I'm the youngest of my, brother, my mother's three sons, the one who never quite fit in. You always pick the hard way, she says. She would tell me, for the past ten years, she'd been saying, why don't you just do something in business? I heard this always as an insult, so much so that I never asked what kind of business. My mother's advice was another way of saying, just stop what you're doing because it's not working. Privately, I said to myself, I'm a late bloomer, what's wrong with that? But I couldn't deny that now was the time to make something stick. Buying a house would anchor me and it would keep Jill in town. A few years earlier, she had followed her boyfriend to Baltimore from Detroit. When she ended their long troubled relationship, she seriously considered considered returning to the Midwest. Then she met me. Now let me just run down the problems with this house, starting with this room full of garbage. I have a list here. Okay, so so here's what happened. Um, it was, it was really a mystery house because um, the realty company that was selling the house really wasn't a realty company. It was actually a front for the fraternity who was selling it through one of their lawyers who, who was trying to get out from being sued, and, and a bunch of other things were happening. So it wasn't a realty company. It was really hard to get a hold of them, which was why, in part, the house was still sitting unsold because it was really hard to get a hold of this guy. But I'm a really determined guy myself. So I finally got a hold of him, and when we went into the house, um, it wasn't a realtor who showed us the house. It was actually a guy who lived in the neighborhood who had took on the house as his own project because he was a a booster of the neighborhood, and this neighborhood had been terrorized for 10 years by this fraternity. I mean, we're talking... Major animal house action here they had a twenty foot bar in the basement. the basement's huge, and it was such a party house that even like two years after we took it over, people would come up to the door and say you know when 's the party like what what 's going on here?" I mean they invited everybody into this house to party so um, so this guy who showed us the house, his name is Rick noble he doesn 't live here anymore, but you 'll meet him in the book, real sweet man. he put padlocks big chains and padlocks on the, on the house because the house was being vandalized. It was abandoned. And it was abandoned because um, of so many lawsuits leveled against the fraternity, and then the city cut the power because they weren't paying their power bill and then turned off the water and the kids still were living in the house. And so when we came into the house, here's what we found. And Rick, Rick was showing us around. In my head, I was keeping tally of the work to be done, clean out 4,500 square feet of old furniture and garbage because the kids had left everything behind. That included nearly every room had a refrigerator full of food that had been sitting in there for like eight months. Dismantle three plywood lofts in the bedrooms, dismantle a 20-foot bar in the basement, repair three fallen ceilings, replace all the plumbing, rebuild the master bathroom, rebuild three-story wooden porch, which is like a house unto itself, reglaze 64-plus porch windows, replace the roof, replace the water heater, replace 72 finely-turned custom-made balusters that had been knocked out of the staircase, apparently with baseball bats we found these shards and splinters of these gorgeous balusters all over the house refinish the wood floors repair or replace 33 windows most of them the size of doors these victorian's um, they they had they didn't care about insulation or you know or or cold weather because they had radiators about the size of this table you know they because they, heat uh, energy was so cheap in those days so uh, the windows on a house like this are huge, I mean absolutely huge. Refinish the floors, as I said, rewire the house for electricity. Repair and refinish 24 to 30 doors, which had been used for target practice, by the way. The kids had used uh, darts and knives and I think some hatchets uh, on some of the doors. Um, repair and replaster every wall, oh my God, plaster, I could tell you things about plaster. Replace 12 glass pane doors in the butler's pantry, which had been stripped out. Replace 10 wood doors in the butler's pantry. Repair and replaster every ceiling. Install kitchen cabinets. Repair and refinish two sets of pocket doors. Find and install four vintage fireplace mantles. Because this place had said abandoned, vandals had gotten in and started stripping out the house. And uh, and there there were no light fixtures, no mantles. Uh, Find and install four vintage fireplace mantles. As I said, find and install 14 ceiling lights. As I say, no ceiling lights. Refinish and replace 33 sets of interior shutters. All the shutters have been torn out. Paint, paint, paint. And then I have here what else. Uh, Again, this is the first, you know, I'm walking in here, and here's what Jill's doing. Oh, look at that. Oh, we got to, oh, Ron, a butler's pantry where are you going to find a butler's pantry? I'm saying, Jill, Jill. She says, look at this. You know, most people, Ron, most people turn these into bathrooms. This is the original butler's pantry. Say, Jill. Oh, my goodness. So, let me show you some of these pictures. So, here's Jill uh, making a face, and you get an idea of some of the graffiti. I didn't mention, you know, that the, the, the walls were strafed with graffiti all over. And you can see some of the, Garbage, you know, just like waist deep. She's, you know, she's just going, oh my God. Um, but she was much braver about it than I. Here I am. Um, if you notice my expression here, it's like, it's holy cow. Uh, you know, we're just looking at the damage as we go along. And you can see, these aren't the greatest, greatest pictures, but you can see uh, just garbage. Junk. They were throwing. They had food fights apparently. Um, not a great picture, but I just want to show you just piles of and bags of garbage in the hallway. That was just the just one hallway. This is a sample. What's the doors look like? And um, they also put uh, deadbolts and all the locks and uh, all the doors because I guess they didn't trust each other. I wonder why. Here I am again with my little notebook and I, I'm managing a smile there for Jill's camera. Uh, this is some years later, um, Jill, the love of my life is stripping paint. I would rather do a hundred sit-ups than strip paint. Stripping paint is really, really hard, hard work to do. Now what I'm going to do is read you um, this one chapter which uh, is at one of the lowest points of um, my experience with this house. Uh, I, I need to remind you that we knew nothing, nothing about fixing up, nothing. I, well, actually, I knew three things, okay? Sorry, three things. Uh, I knew how to work a handsaw. My father had taught me that. Like, this is totally useless here. Um, I knew how to paint a room. Now, that's a good thing. I knew how to paint a room. So did Geo. We both knew how to paint a room. And I knew how to hammer a nail. Because, again, my father said, every man needs to know how to hammer a ma- nail. And so I knew how to hammer a nail. Um, I didn't know anything about plastering, electricity, or all the other things we had to learn. Uh, And here's the thing. If you get a house like this, um, you get a 203K rehab loan. A 203K rehab loan gives you uh, enough money, supposedly, to get the house up to code. This is condemned property. You're not supposed to live in this house. Up to code means it's safe. It means the ceiling's not falling in. It means you won't fall over the baluster or the banister. Uh, It means the walls are solid. So our bank gave us six months to get things up to code. Now the bank gave me sixty thousand dollars. Now I'm kind of naive, and I just think, wow, sixty thousand dollars! I'm I'm going to fill this house full of workers, and you know we're going to be done in no time. And um, my realtor, uh, so, sorry, my a contractor, Nicholas Grant, who is a fantastic uh, contractor. He's called the Essential Handyman. Uh, he was one of the few guys who would uh, oversee the project if you get a 203k loan you have to have uh, a real live contractor oversee the work so that you don't do something stupid so that you make good use of the money and so that you meet your deadlines so he was there to make sure we stayed honest and did what we were supposed to do but i didn't have enough money to pay him to do anything he did every once in a while he would show me stuff like he saw me And uh, one day he came by, and I was, um, I was working my new uh, circular saw, and he said, what are you doing with that? And I said, I just can't get this, this blade right. And, you know, the blade was going like this. And he said, well, you, you know, there's this little insert you have to take out of there before you put the blade on. I go, oh. He said, you could have killed yourself. And I go, oh. <clears throat> this was Nicholas's job to make sure I didn't kill myself. And he did a good job at that. Anyway, so here's the thing. We had, with the $60,000, we got the roof repaired, we got the plumbing replaced, we got all the windows replaced, and then we had the floors done, which wasn't a great idea to do. You don't really want to do your floors before you do the rest of the house, but that's what we had done, and then we were out of money. That was it. We had just enough money to pay uh, Nicholas to oversee the work, and then the rest we had to do ourselves. So of necessity, we just had to do the work. We just had no choice, and it became... It didn't become clear as early as it should have that we were doomed. I mean, it just didn't become clear to me that we were doomed, that we would never meet our deadline. And of course, no one said, no one took me aside because no one was there to do that, to say, well, it's okay. You, you know, you can extend that deadline. You don't have to meet six months. You can actually go a little bit longer. I didn't know that. So what I was doing was I was coming home from work every day, and I would work through the night uh, into the early morning, get about four hours of sleep every night, and I did that for a full year. And by the end of the year, and I did that simply because I was absolutely terrified. And at the end of the year, I looked like I had cancer. I'm, 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 a, I'm about 180 pounds. At that time, I weighed 150. And uh, I had dark, dark circles under my eyes. And um, if you saw a picture of me at that time, you'd say, who's that guy? So here it is, the first summer. We've been working on the house now for about five months And uh, here's what happened. That first summer, the neighbors on our block threw us a dinner party at Dan's house a few doors down. A retired minister, Dan, divides his time between playing cello in the community symphony and preaching for peace. Jill and I were pleasantly surprised by the diversity among our neighbors. And by the way, Charles Village is just great for that. It's just a really eclectic group of people. A harpist, a bank manager, a graphic designer... A retired pipe fitter, a lawyer, a realtor, a social security administrator, a movie location scout, a social worker, a journalist, a piano technician, and several retired teachers. One of the retirees was a famous peace activist whose cohorts had napalmed draft board records in the 1970s. His radical peace group, still active in 2000, was so notorious that a right-wing think tank had relocated up the street just to keep track of him. Our neighbors toasted to our success, and we toasted in return. Then we toasted some more. Then we stood around Dan's piano and sang show tunes until we were hoarse. Later, as Jill and I described the work we were undertaking, and the looming deadline, and the deadline was uh, approximately a month from this point, the local historian said flatly, you'll never bring that house back. It's too far gone. Maybe we... Maybe we were starry-eyed, and he was trying to toughen us up. Still, it made us bristle. We wanted to prove him wrong. Rick, the guy who showed us the house and who was the shepherd of the house, counseled patience. He reminded us that it had taken him and Charles 20 years. He said this at every turn. Ron, it took us 20 years. And I, if, and I kept saying to myself, I'll have it done in two. Never mind that it was June, Okay, and we were so behind in our work that any clear-eyed observer could see that we would never make our deadline. I thought, we'd be pla- I thought we'd be painting by now, but we couldn't paint until the walls were repaired and plastered. Every patch of plaster took 24 hours to dry, then had to be sanded and plastered some more, then sanded and plastered some more, because I was just learning how to do it, and doing it well took several tries. Virtually every foot of every wall and ceiling needed repair. It seemed I would never stop plastering, especially in Baltimore's summer humidity as a prolonged drying time. I think I plastered for six months straight. I think that's mostly what I was doing. But once the plastering is done, I told myself, we dispatch the rest of the work speedily. We'd catch up. We'd make our deadline, Just, just don't let up. That's the trick, just keep at it and keep at it and keep at it. The long hours of labor made my elbows and wrists numb and my fingers cramped. Soaking in ice water helped keep down the swelling. During a 14-hour day, I might soak my wrists, hands, and elbows every hour. Anything to keep the numbness at bay. At night, my arms would tingle so badly, the tendons swollen, the nerves smarting, I sometimes couldn't sleep. As it was, I got four hours a night if I was lucky. Jill got more, but she was working at full capacity too, spending much of her time stripping paint when new, the Queen Anne featured shellacked wood trim of yellow pine, which would have looked honey-colored. By the 1920s, varnished wood trim looked old-fashioned, too Victorian, and so homeowners started painting their woodwork. You might wonder about that. You go into a house and say, why did they paint the woodwork? Because they wanted to get rid of the look of the old, you know, the old generation, which was the Victorians. And you know what's going to happen? We're going to spend years stripping the woodwork in our buildings, and guess what's going to happen? 30 years from now, 40 years from now, some you know, youngsters are gonna come in and say, God, this looks so old-fashioned. We're gonna have to paint this. This is life. This just goes in these cycles. Um, and one of the one of the many realities I had to face, the only woodwork that remained unpainted in our house were the doors, and those were scratched, hammered, scored, and pitted. They're finished long having turned to a dull dark chocolate. To strip paint, Jill was experimenting with chemicals and solvents. She never wore a mask. She never wore gloves. I badgered her about taking care of herself and reminded her that paint stripping was low on our priority list. But Jill's list was often different from mine. Oh my God! Um, there, I talk a lot about that. How, you know what, folks? If you're going to do a project together, one of the first things you need to do have a plan. Have a plan. Talk about you know talk with each other about the plan. We had no plan. We just walked in there, you know, because we knew nothing. And so she started doing her thing, and I was doing my thing, and oh my goodness, what trouble we got. Okay, um, I'd watch her working diligently on something I didn't want to do. Her hands mucked with paint and solvents. Then I'd sign resignation. There were only so many things we could argue about, and we were arguing all the time. Dogs. We argued about the dogs all the time. Maybe they were a stand-in for other problems. Jill put dog beds in the kitchen, the TV room, her office, and our bedroom. It seemed there was always a dog underfoot. And of course, there was always a cat or two nearby as well. Every morning, I'd hear Jill in the kitchen talking to the animals as if they were children. No matter what they did, Charlie licking the butter dish on the kitchen counter or Harriet snatching toast from her hand, they made her laugh at least once a week she'd make a song up about one of them and then sing it like a nursery rhyme and I'd hear this you know I'd be in bed you know groggy and then I'd hear her singing to the dogs Harriet's a crabby girl but we love her still Harriet's a crabby girl she never gets her fill she growls and stabs this dog was a basset hound the meanest basset hound ever was like this, I mean we love basset hounds you think basset hounds are sweet dogs no this, this basset hound was like the devil incarnate and it bit everybody. It bit her. It bit everybody. And everybody said, oh, but it's so cute. And Nicholas, our realtor, said, oh, I'm good with dogs. Ah! And he'd get bitten. So, and here she's singing a song to her. She growls and snaps and always complains to hear her side. She's always in pain, but we love you, Harriet, no matter how bad you are, because you're the doggiest dog, the crabbiest girl by far. You know, she's, Every day, singing to the dogs. Her singing would make the dogs bark and bark again, their tails swinging. Even when they broke into the garbage or snap leftovers from the kitchen counter, she rarely got angry at them. I was less forgiving. I insisted that Harriet and PJ be tethered near their beds whenever we were working. Neither was truly housebroken. Their habits suggested an acquaintance with the concept, but they easily forgot themselves. Harriet was fond of leaving a turd or two on the rug in the entryway. PJ peed indiscriminately, spraying a chair one week, then a stack of my CDs the next. Mind you, you know, we're working on a house, okay? (sighs) Sometimes we wouldn't discover the mess for days. Jill said it was cruel to keep the dogs tied up. What's cruel about it if they're sleeping on their beds, I said? Whenever I'd find the dogs loose, I'd take them to their beds and leash them to a radiator. This is a construction zone, I'd announce. Later, I'd hear the dogs padding about free again. Then I'd see trails of tissues and q-tips and half-chewed napkins leading to the bathroom or the kitchen. After one or both had raided the trash bin. When the mail carrier arrived, Harriet and PJ would gallop to the front door, he barking, she howling. Then PJ would hurl himself at the door, clawing to get at the intruder. Nearly every morning, their barking in the kitchen woke me from sleep. Jill got up at dawn, which was when I'd get to bed. One morning, my head pounding, I stood at the top of the stairs in my underwear and bellowed, For God's sakes, can a man get an hour's sleep in this godforsaken kennel? In the abstract, I understood Jill's indulgence, but in the moment, and there were too many moments, it infuriated me. Were the dogs more important than my rest? My sanity? When I discovered that PJ had sneaked upstairs to the library or what would become the library and peed on the antique rug we'd bought for that room, I stormed through the house railing. Jill cleaned up the mess and promised she'd keep track of him, but then PJ did it again. Jill dutifully cleaned up the mess and offered another apology. Then he did it a third time, and I wouldn't speak to her for two days. The Queen Anne was such a wreck, we weren't sure what we'd find. Hidden in the many folds and cracks in stairway crevices, we found Indian head pennies and buffalo nickels. When we took off an original wall shelf in the kitchen, an array of Victoriana rained down on us. us. Hat pens, a miniature tin mirror, rusted keys, a chewing tobacco wrapper, and a cigarette trading card of a pink ibis. When I broke into the walls to run electrical cables or peeked into ceilings to make repairs, I kept coming across old Patent medicine bottles. This is one of the most interesting discoveries in these old houses. Old medicine bottles. Evidently, the workers were drinking, medicating on the job. After in- emptying a bottle, they'd recork it. They always recorked it. They'd recork it, then drop it inside the wall they were building. So the you know the guys are just down in this you know this patent medicine stuff, and then throwing it in the walls and then plastering it up. Patent medicines were over-the-counter drugs. By the mid-19th century, few of these were actually patented. Patents would have demanded a record of ingredients. Full disclosure was the last thing manufacturers welcomed. And I talk a little bit about this. The main thing you have to know about patent medicines is that they were just mostly alcohol. And, um, and I could sympathize with these workers self-medicating. Uh, uh, yes, <laughs> I could. Oh, my goodness. Um, because injury dogged me daily. Uh, uh, my great fear was that I'd hurt myself seriously—slip a disc, or cut off a finger, or ruin my chance at completing the Queen Anne's rehab. I stapled my fingers, hammered my hand, uh, torched my arm, bruised my thigh, knifed my knuckle, knocked my nose, crowned my head, even fell five feet flat, five feet flat on my back from atop a dumpster. I'm amazed I could do that. I was uh, on a dumpster. And I just fell right 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 back on flat on the asphalt, I couldn't believe I I, I didn't break anything, I just, um, my hands were always cut or scraped, my arms, my wrists, my elbows, my fingertips were always half numb and tingling, flirting seriously with nerve damage, <clears throat> now I did some stupid things, uh, like hanging from the porch without a lifeline, and again, this is a three-story porch, all made of wood, three stories up, I dangle from one side of the, or the other holding on with one hand while trying to scrape or paint with the other. A couple of times I slipped but caught myself. Stupid. Then I went out and bought a mountain climbing harness. Seriously, I, I strongly recommend these, uh, mountain climbing harness, and you can just tie yourself to a post and keep. So um, <clears throat> I was doing a lot of this. In July, it was painfully clear that Jill and I weren't going to make our deadline. Despite my 14 hour day schedule, despite my 14-hour day schedule. Jill was working at the consignment store and helping me at night. She was so exhausted I could work around her while she slept. And I did. You know, I remember plastering the bedroom ceiling all night long while she slept. She just we were we were both so exhausted. By the by this time in my few fitful hours of early morning sleep, I started having a recurring nightmare. It didn't matter what dream I started with. I could be visiting the president of the United States or shopping in the world's best mall or sharing supper with friends. Eventually, I'd find myself facing a door. When I opened the door, and I always opened it, I'd be looking at the world's dirtiest bathroom. The bathroom itself changed from dream to dream Always it had a tile floor, which allowed water to pool. But otherwise, it could have been any bathroom, as big as a stadium, or as small as an up-ended coffin. What never changed was the degree of filth. As filthy as you can imagine, urine puddled on the floor, the toilet overflowing. I'd be ankle deep in floating turds. My job, which I never questioned, was to make the bathroom spotless. It was clearly an impossible task, but I, had, I was committed to the challenge, and so I'd clean and clean and clean, knee-deep in toilet water, turds bobbing all around me, my clothes wet and reeking of urine. Then I'd wake up, feeling dirty and defeated. One sunny Saturday morning, as I was, stand, as, as I was sanding the Queen Anne's front doors, a young man approached me his girlfriend in tow. He called a greeting, then said, wow, you're fixing the place up, huh? You know I used to live here. (laughs) I looked up from my work, considered his smile, wondering only for a moment if he was one of the few frat boys who had not damaged the house. Maybe this was a good boy. The only good boy. He looked to be in his late 20s, clean cut, smiling. He wanted a tour, obviously. He wanted to see what I had done to his former house. He wanted to show his girlfriend what it had been like back in the day. He couldn't have known that I was in a fragile state of mind. He couldn't have known that I was beginning to apprehend How utterly unprepared I was for all the work that lay ahead, that I was drowning. He couldn't have known that Jill and I had discovered that none of our friends and none of our neighbors was capable of helping us. They had their own lives, their own projects. The few who were inclined to help didn't know how to do anything we needed doing. Nobody, it seemed, even knew how to prep and paint a wall. Thank you, Dad. And nobody had the time to learn what we'd learned. We couldn't blame them. My Saturday morning visitor, this fresh-faced former fraternity boy could not have known that, unable to thwart my wholly unrealistic and thoroughly impulsive optimism, I had invited my family to spend Christmas with Jill and me at our, quote, newly renovated house just six months away. Let me say that again. I had invited my entire family to stay with us for Christmas just six months away and I'm I'm just plastering you know we're talking condemned property and I'm plastering nothing nothing has been done what were you thinking Jill Gasp when I told her of this invitation you should have talked to me we're not ready we won't be ready we won't be anywhere near ready she was she looked about the weep. I felt my face grow hot with humiliation this was something she and I Still had not worked out, my not consulting her on major de- <laughs> on major decisions. Oh, God. Sometimes carried on a wave of blinding optimism, I convinced myself that Jill would be delighted by what I had decided in her absence. I knew I had no right to do this, but making sudden decisions, any attempt to fix things with magical speed held me like an addiction. I had to change as Jill's outrage and disappointment made clear every time. We'll be ready, I insisted. Christmas is several months beyond our rehab's deadline. What's unrealistic about that? Oh, Ron, what have you done? She wailed, walking away, pulling at her curly hair. Oh, God, it will be horrible. It'll be all right, I called after her, but even then I could smell the smoke of doom. I could feel the flames. Ron, what were you thinking? I heard her wail again from downstairs. Now, looking at the beaming former frat boy, I saw everything that would not and could not be right. You! I snapped. What you did? I pointed my wire brush at the young man. You should be ashamed. You and your frat boy friends nearly ruined the house. Shame on you. Stunned, the boy backed away, I heard his girlfriend say, Honey, shame on you, I said again, surprised at my own vehemence, but unable to stop myself. Do you have any idea what you did? The young couple backed out of the yard. Do you? I shouted. They retreated to the sidewalk, their wide eyes trained on me. This place is a wreck! Do you understand what I'm saying? This place is a wreck! That's pretty much how it was. They strode away, not quite running, but glancing back more than once to make sure I wasn't chasing them. As I stood there, seething, I heard a ringing in my ears like a distant alarm. In August, Jill said she was worried about me and insisted that we go away for a week. I was so exhausted, I could hardly protest. She took me to an old farmhouse she had found for rent in upstate New York. Thanks, Jessica. She drove most of the way while I stared out the window and napped intermittently. What a tremendous relief it was to be away from the Queen Anne. The farmhouse Jill had rented was small, just off a two-lane road outside a village in the Catskills, it had recently belonged to somebody's grandmother. We found the old ladies' dresses, hat boxes, and trunks crowding the upstairs walk-in. The newest piece of furniture was a circa 1960s space-age couch with nubby, sparkly fabric. The refrigerator was a big white 1955 GE with lots of chrome, the equivalent of a thin-tailed Cadillac. Everything about the place was reminiscent of visiting one of my country relatives. Jill and I walked our dogs through the large, now abandoned dairy barn. They nosed, poked, and pawed, then rolled in the manure-pungent hay, reveling in the smells. Outside, we had 250 acres to ourselves. PJ tore through the tall grass. Harriet bounded and barking after him. For a week, we let them run happily through the pasture while we lolled behind pausing at the low stone walls where blackberry bushes grew, drooping with ripe fruit. I began to accept then what Jill had been telling me for months, that we would fail our inspection in September. Only vaguely did I apprehend what a disaster Christmas would be when my mother and brothers and in-laws would show up at the house that wasn't even up to HUD standards. Our old house was literally condemned property. And the rent, and I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't back down. I, I just insisted that we would. You should read that chapter. Oh my God! And <sighs> the rented farmhouse. I slept till noon every day. After breakfast, I'd stretch out on the grass in the side yard and sleep some more. It felt like I was growing an extra pair of arms. So much was changing so fast in my life. I was beginning to admit to myself that I couldn't predict how the house would turn out, much less how I would. It scared me, and I was quietly amazed at how desperate I was for Jill's love, that I destroyed myself to prove myself worthy. In taking me away, it seemed Jill was telling me I didn't have to try so hard, that we'd be okay. I still didn't believe it. I needed a win. It was time for a win. I refused to shoulder yet another loss. She and I were far from secure in each other. We argued too much, too much was up in the air. She was still pushing for a share of the house, a whole nother issue I don't have time to talk about right now. Uh, I wouldn't even talk about it. In truth, we were hardly talking. It was all work, except for this single week. And even here, we were mostly quiet in each other's company. The nights at the farm were cool, sometimes punctuated by the cautious hooting of an owl. Jill and I made blackberry pie for dinner pies for dinner. Something we love to do. We'll make a pie, and then we'll have a salad, and we'll say, that's good. That's, that's. You know, when you need comfort food, you need some of these excuses. And we'd read novels on the space-age couch. We saw no one. When we let the dogs out for their evening pee, we stood in the yard and stared at the star-stunned sky. One night, we saw meteors falling in white streaks. That's good, Jill reminded me. Nothing but nothing. I listened to the night birds, pulled Jill closer to ward off the chill, then gaped again at the stars and thought, sure, let the sky fall. Now I'm going to show you some pictures. This is one of our best friends, heat guns. If you uh, strip paint, uh, do not use chemicals, use heat, and by the way, wear a mask. Uh, this is my typical work outfit. If you drop by the house on a Tuesday or Thursday, uh, that's what you'll see, um, me in that outfit. I want to talk about screws, nails, and stuff like this. <clears throat> Our basement was full of this stuff, um, and it's still we still have boxes and boxes. If you're rehabbing a house, you need boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff, and that's what we have. Just a close-up of um, paint stripping. This is lead paint. Both Jill and I got lead paint poisoning. It's a major part of the book. And um, it was not it was not a pretty not a pretty thing. Um, virtually everything in the house looked like this. If it was painted, it was uh, just just paint was just peeling off of everything. That's a shutter, by the way, and that's more lead paint. Lots of that. And here is the love of my life. Even though she has carpal tunnel, she's still painting. <laughs> you gotta love somebody like that. Uh, we started essentially with a house that looked like this. This is, uh, this is a corner of a floor. This is molding. And, and when we were done, it, it looked like that. That's the same corner. And that's, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about renovation. This is um, what it looked like before. And that's what it looked like after. Again, before, after. Uh, this is, this is um, the backyard backyard. That's the frat boy uh, hot tub, and which is full of junk. And um, this 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 is our back porch, which uh, is made of wood. And I'm having trouble here. That's the house. Before. That's the house before. There we go, and that's after. Front front view. Um, this is the kitchen before. Um, <clears throat> this is the hearth, and it, it would have had a, a wood burning or coal burning, probably coal burning stove here, which was, uh, but it was covered over when we found it, and we got the house, and so we we took this out, and <clears throat> that's what it looks like now. and uh this was just a big old cabinet big old thing the frat guys had on the on the side of the house and on the side of the wall, and that's what it looks like now and uh the frat guys had um yes it was like it was like going into a the the cave of a forgotten tribe and and what you'd find on the walls were you know all kinds of insignia you know and you'd find these primitive markings and whatnot and say oh my goodness it's uh this is, uh, and that's the dining room uh, before and that's the dining room now, same place. That, uh, the kids had built lofts in every bay and um, they were really hard to get out. They used a lot of screws and, um, and after a while, Jill got used to it, but when I work and I have a hard time, sorry mom, but I, I, I use a lot of bad words. And um, I would just, and she didn't, she didn't know how to take that at first. She thought, is he yelling at me? Is he yelling at them? And she finally figured out it's just my process. So I, I would just be yelling all kinds. And that's what it looks like now. That's the master bedroom. And again, um, just a reminder nothing was here. The shutters weren't here. Uh, there were no lights, um, no mantles. Um, you know, the floors were ruined. And everything was painted and all the walls were torn up and one day i came home let's actually jill put this in and i found jill tearing out the original there was the original tile over here and i said what are you doing you don't need to tear that out and she said i think you know i think there might be something behind this wall i said what yeah there might be something behind that wall because this was tiled over and it hadn't been touched like in a hundred years And i said and I said, well, give me the hammer. And so we both tore it up. And she retiled that. And she did a great job. Uh, this is the pantry, the butler's pantry. And this is uh, afterwards. And this is the, the living room. This is the entry here. And this is the living room. After we cleaned it out, And you can see um, some construction material back there. And you can also see how, how bad the floors are. And um, this is what it looks like now. That's the front door, and that's what it looks now. So when we got to it, um, they had torn out the original interior doors here in the in the vestibule, and so we had to go. And we found some pieces of it in the basement, and then we just had to get um, we had to get some salvage and redo it. This is the what what this was their nickname. <clears throat> this is their insignia. And this is their nickname. Um, and uh, it's Delta Epsilon is the fraternity. And I'm sure they're, they're great in other cities, but they were, they were, they were kicked out of Baltimore. Uh, and this is that, that same room now. This is our Victorian library. Um, a lot of the house is about uh, our dream come true. We love old houses. And so what we did was um, we go to auctions and, and uh, flea markets and stuff and start collecting stuff and then deciding you know how to use it and so we we it took us five years to get all the stuff that we used to make this and these were the these were the auction find just before we put this thing together we found these at an auction real cheap these little uh, bust and said well that'd be cool and then um, Jill in this early photograph um, there's a piece of glass missing Jill um, after we uh, bought some um, Stained glass, and you can find stained glass really cheap if it's broken up. But if you try to get it fixed, it's really, really expensive. And we did that once, and then Jill said, I'm going to take a class and learn how to do this. And so she did. So she learned how to fix stained glass, and so uh, she fixed uh, all three panes of stained glass. This is uh, the uh, living room fireplace, and that's what it looks like now. Here's one of the the great examples of uh, graffiti and actually I like some of the graffiti. Um, I, I don't have a picture of it here but I think one of the best pieces of graffiti was a um, scorpion, um, upside down scorpion which is really kind of cool and that's what it looks like now. And this is the entryway and that's what it looks like now. Uh, one of the biggest tragedies was, uh, I mentioned earlier how the kids took baseball bats and batted out all these hand-turned balusters, 72 of them, and um, this is a shot looking up at the, at one of the banisters, and you can see uh, what's missing here. And then uh, it took us a long time to save to, to get those replaced. We had thought that, or I had thought, that what we'll do is we'll just get some funky balusters. You know, the whole house is going to be funky. And kind of cool, but you know, that's good enough. And Jill's uh, attitude was always no. And she sounded like my father, really scary. She said, "Do it once, do it right." And so now, whenever we, we do a uh, a fix up, whenever there's something needs fixing, uh, she reminds me we're doing the Williamsburg fix, right? You know, that's the historic. So okay, we're doing the Williamsburg because I never want to do the work. You know, I I, I actually. When it came to running electricity, she said, "Well, you know, we need a switch at the top of the stairs and the bottom of the stairs, right?" I said, "No, no, we don't want that because I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to cut a channel all the way down the you know all the way down the stairway to run the line. That's a lot of work. I don't want to do that. You hear the whining. Um, and she said, "You know, are, are you saying, Ron, that every time we want to turn off the light, we're gonna have to walk downstairs and flick the switch. I so, said, "Well, maybe not." Okay, that's the way our, our lives would go. This is an early picture of the house from uh, about the 1930s. A um, couple of historic details here. Uh, Peabody Heights was the first neighborhood in Baltimore that flirted with uh, suburban uh, suburban touches, and this is a suburban touch: 20 feet of grass in front of the house. If you go to if you if you come south, uh, go go north, start say at the Inner Harbor and come up Calvert, or um, come up uh, Charles. What you'll, you'll see is all the houses are right there on the sidewalk. But once you get to Charles Village, the houses step back, and that was that was a big deal. I mean, that was like whoa, grass, wow, and look, it was just enough for them to have grass. It's like whoo, it's grass. They didn't do any landscaping or anything because that was enough. That was the big deal for them. And uh, the other thing you might want to notice here is this was the style. You would have shutters are, 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 are you know, uh, built in here, but they don't have the shutters closed. Then they have a curtain, and then they have a shade, and all the shades are at the same level. That was, uh, that was the deal. And um, this is the way the house looks now. Uh, we got married in the house in 2003, and, um, <laughs> and we're still living there. Uh, and that's all my presentation now. Uh, I, we can uh, I, I can do some questions and answers if you want, but there we are. <laughs> oh, we do have books for sale outside, too. Um, any questions? Uh, we got like five minutes if you want. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's debatable. Yeah, that's debatable. You can go to uh, CharlesVillage.net, the uh, neighborhood civic association website, and there's, there's actually a map that shows you uh, how it's how it's demarcated. Uh, approximately from 25th Street on up to uh, West University, and uh, to the east uh, down to uh, uh, to um, York, uh, Greenmount, and then to the to the west up to uh, Johns Hopkins, approximately. Again, yes. Oh. oh. Well, you, that they didn't come by and check on it. Or any, oh, I'm sorry. Well, they didn't come by and check on it. So you're asking who owned this house? Well, the fraternity owned the house. A, a, a real estate speculator sold the house to a fraternity, and the fraternity owned the house. So there was no oversight on the house. It was just the fraternity kids in the house, and so they. Well, apparently they did. They they bought it for two hundred eighty-five thousand dollars in nineteen eighty-nine, and that was a huge amount of money. I mean, yeah, at the top of the market in at, at nineteen eighty-nine. But they were willing to do it. So, yeah, I know. Yes. Um, we have about two rooms left, and we have a couple of hallways and. Um, the back porch always needs maintenance, but uh, we're almost there. You know, we're 11 months in, 11 years in, see, 11 months, see, this is how I think. See, this is, we're only 11 months in, we're we're doing great. Um, yeah, but we're almost there. hmm I'm sorry, Ron, you also, you and Jill were, uh, you and Jill were living there uh, uh, while it was condemned. I, I moved in um, right after the plumbing was put in. So I moved in in, um, it was March, like second week of March. And Jill didn't move in until May. It took it took me a while to convince Jill that she needed to move into the house and that we were going to make something of it. She she was reluctant. Yes. With uh, long term, no, um, maybe not. Um, hard to say. <laughs> um, we did get lead poisoning. Jill got serious lead poisoning. Um, and it did compromise her health, uh, and she can't do certain things now. Uh, um, and the and the the uh, she can't strip paint now, though she loves to strip paint. If you find a partner who loves to strip paint, marry that person. Oh my goodness, um, I won't let her strip paint anymore. We we have other things that she can do, but uh, what happens? Your body can only take so much. Now, the great thing about uh, the body, the adult human body, is that. You can purge the poisons. Like um, her lead reading was twenty. Average lead reading, you know, is like eight to ten. Like um, and hers was twenty, uh, and uh, she was tested some years ago, and it's down now. It's like maybe down to twelve or so. Um, so your body will purge the poisons, but. You can only take so much, and after a while, you know, you compromise your immune system, and you know, weird things can happen. So you can, you got to be careful. Um, so we're we're a lot more careful now. But here's the problem: we were so under pressure at the time, we were so um, besieged that we just didn't take the time to be careful. And you really it doesn't take that much time. You should take that extra five minutes, or get a mask and wear gloves and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. The living space is approximately 4,500 square feet. Um, it's probably more like 43 and some change, or 44, something like that. Uh, that's not including the basement. The ratio in, in Charles Village, I don't know if we have any Charles Villagers here. It, it, oh, yes. Um, Celeste, do you know? Yeah. OK. Uh, does anybody know? John, do you, would you know what the what the ratio is? Single pan. Single yeah. John's our a uh, uh, realtor in Charles Village and um, great go-to guy, John Spurrier. So uh, check him out. <laughs> yes, um, but yeah, it, it's um, rentals can be a problem that way. You just you, it, it's hard. It's hard. This goes back to the original question. Well, didn't anybody have an oversight? Well, it's it's hard to to be there all the time uh, for. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a tough one. That's tough. Um, Time for one more question. Yes, I put the electric in. Yeah, smart (laughs) guy. Smart guy. Well, here's the thing about electricity. Um, I've gotten better at it. Uh, I did. I did call electrician in um, to clean up my 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 uh, my my panel, my electrical panel, because it was a real mess. And I wanted a pro to you know to take a look at it and make sure it was okay. And and I really strongly recommend people you know rely on a pro. Uh, um, you know pros are there for a reason. They're pros. And and um, if nothing else, I mean if you're if you're a diehard uh, DIYer. Um, uh, Nothing wrong with just calling in a pro and say just double check what I've done here. You know, just check it out and let me know. And so th- I did that with my panel, my electrical panel, because I wasn't that well versed, and 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 actually I, I needed uh, a two twenty for a um, for a stove. Uh, but the electrical is just something you have to respect and and know it's you know know what it does and what it doesn't do. It's it's not complicated. It's just scary as hell, but it's not complicated. So you know, so I, I still do. You know, virtually all of my electrical stuff. I did have someone do the plumbing. Uh, plumbing's changed in the last ten years. Um, at the time, um, really the only kind of plumbing is to sweat the pipe—that is, to uh, you know, use solder and heat. Uh, now there, there's um, two other kinds of ways to to put in pipes for plumbing, and you know. Uh, but I, I just, when it came to the joints on the pipes, I wasn't going to trust myself to do that. Even now, I, I don't trust myself to do that. I did trust Nicholas, by the way. He did that for me. Uh, the essential handyman uh, helped me put in a, 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 a powder room. Hmm? No. Um, well, there's always a problem with an old house. And, and I'll give you an example. Um, I was working and I'm always working on the house. If you have a big old house, you're always working on it. And you have to love that. Uh, but I was working on the the front door and I noticed that um uh on the overhang over the door, it just looked a little weird. And what I found was that it had been um rotted away with water. Water had actually gotten under the paint and just sat there under the paint and just rotted the sill away. And the, and then then I found some more rot at the bottom of the uh, of the door where water had just run down a seam and gotten inside the door and just rotted out one little part. Water is really, really tricky that way. So um, so it, it, it pays just to pay attention to the stuff and if it looks weird, probably is weird, check it out. Um, but, you know, it, it can all be fixed. That's the great thing about houses. Unlike people sometimes, houses can be fixed. Thank you so much. Uh, we got books for sale. Uh, I'd be happy to talk to folks.